listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, sis. Uh, first off, grab a seat. No, we're going to make you stand for the full sermon. Keep a slight bend on your knees. Uh, first off, I just want to say I'm stoked. Like, college students, you're back. We've missed you. Like, you are back, and we are praying for you. We've been praying for you, and I love it that you're coming back, realizing that you're just here, and your cover is that you're a student, right? But you're an ambassador for Christ, and so I just got amped as I saw you guys coming in today. Cool. Okay, now, I love it that we are a church that delights ourselves in the law of the Lord, or at least we want that, right? We want to be a church that delights ourselves in the law of the Lord and to, to know scripture. And so we gather each week to sit under the teaching of God's word. And we have an honor this morning to hear from our dear brother Joe. If you could come on up. Uh, our dear brother Joe, what you need to know about Joe is kind of three things that I, yeah, three things. One of those being he's been a faithful friend to our, our pastor, Justin. You've helped encourage our brother at some of his hardest moments. And so your steadfastness in encouraging him has been an encouragement to us. So that's one. Second thing is we all have been blessed in some way, indirectly or directly, by Ligonier Ministries. Amen? He's on staff, serves as one of the uh, editors within that. Uh, and then third, I, I love about it, one of the things I love about him that I'm just learning him is I asked him, I said, like, I know you're not pastoring full-time anymore. Where are you going to church? And essentially, how are you serving? And I love it. Homies, out of the overflow of his heart, says, we set up chairs and we pass out bulletins. I don't know about you, but that's a man I want to hear from that understands that he's called just to be a servant. So please join me in praying for, come here, brother, uh, Joe, and your dear brother's wife is Haley, right? Hallie. Hallie, I'm sorry. Hallie, it's nice to meet you. All right, let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we love it that your word is alive and sharper than any double-edged sword. We love it that your word is going to be preached to us and your word is going to expose us. Your word is going to bring to light some of the things that we're living for that are not in accordance with your scriptures. And in that, Lord, you are going to bring us into a deeper understanding of how loved we are. And how much we need you. And how holy you are and how unholy we act at times. And so, Lord, thank you for your scriptures. You have given us ears to hear them. Eyes to see what a life changed by your word is all about. And a mind to understand and a heart to feel. Lord, would you capture our mind's attention and heart's affections this morning. Lord, thank you for our dear brother Joe. Lord, thank you that he knows it's not in and of himself that will bring life, that will bring a renewing of your mind, of our minds. 
Thank you for what your spirit will do. Will you please, Father, leave us in awe of you? We are a church that wants to delight in the law of our loving Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy and matchless name, we all pray. Amen. Have fun, brother. Thank you. It is really good to be with you. Good to, to see you all. Um, I had the privilege of serving on um, Justin and Amy's assessment team um, for Acts 29. So before any of this um, happened, before you had probably even heard their name, um, they sat in front of three, um, me and two other pastors, and were just terrified. And um, we grilled them for three hours, and um, in that time we're so encouraged that Lord's work in them and um, the confidence that we had that God was calling them to come here and, and plant a church. And so um, glad to see we were correct in that assessment to see um, your faces and, and God's faithfulness um, to bring you here. And so I'm glad to be back for that reason. Um, so I'm excited about opening God's word this morning, being in Psalm 134, which you've already heard from. Um, I, from what I gather, you're, you're working through some of the Psalms of Ascent um, and how we call them. If you remember how your Bible is organized, especially the Psalms, the Psalms are not journal entries. Um, it wasn't some poet, singer, songwriter that was just making a music log. Um, these are 150 different songs, psalms um, that were gathered over time and then curated. And so there are five books of the psalms. Um, you're probably most familiar with psalms like Psalm 23. Probably also familiar with Psalm 119 um, and all about the Word of God. You're probably familiar that that psalm is an acrostic and so it goes through the Hebrew um, alphabet. Each section is the next letter. So it'd be like writing a, a poem with 26 stanzas and the first stanza starts with A and the second B and the third C and the fourth D and on down. Now, so Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. The completeness of the Word of God illustrated in the fact that it's framed by the Hebrew alphabet. Well, what comes after the biggest psalm about the Word of God? Well, the Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 psalms of ascent. So you start with Psalm 120 and go all the way to 134, where we are this morning. So we're, we're ending now with the psalms of ascent. And that's, that's just beautiful in the curation of it. Whoever it was, whoever pulled all of these things together, that he said, all right, we're going to get our eyes fixed on the word of God. What are we going to do now? Now we're going to go and praise him. We're going to be a sojourning pilgrim people, and so there's the Word of God, and then 15 psalms that illustrate, that help the people of God to praise God and who He is going into worship, going together. And so as you've probably heard, as you've, if you've um, heard about these different psalms of ascent, they were likely psalms that the Hebrews would sing as they were going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a hill, and so they would be ascending as they were going, and these would just be songs that they would have memorized, and they would sing along the way. And so I don't know if y'all had, you know, whatever on the radio this morning, Christian music, hymns, whatever else. I don't know if you have your favorite ones, but it'd be very similar. Like, what, what do you want to hear on the way, way to church? Even, even more so, this is the last psalm. So this would conclude um, everything that was going on. So I don't, do any, any, any UVA graduates here? My wife is one. That's the only one. <laughs> Well, if, if you ever go um, to UVA, and maybe you went to a school that did this, at the end of every basketball, football game, we have the good old song. And you, you know at the end of the game, you're going to link arms with whoever's next to you, and you're going to sing the good old song. And it's one of the things that we expect at the end of, I won't sing it for you, but the end of a basketball game, end of a football game, we have this song 
to conclude our time together. And of course, it has nothing to do with Jesus and just a passing sport, just a frivolity entertainment, but it's something we look forward to in the participation of that event. And so this psalm would serve the Jews in the same way. This would be a psalm that they would look forward to singing at the end. Maybe like the doxology, if you, part of church services that would close with a doxology. And so I just, I, I want to show you where this psalm fits. I want to encourage you in your study of the Bible and your study of the Psalms to realize the order that the Psalms take, and that it's important to realize where it is because it brings meaning to what we're doing, what we're seeing. And so this Psalm not only is the last Psalm, but it's a unique Psalm in that it's an evening Psalm. Um, I'm going to read again in just a second after that introduction, and you hear um, the people of God crying out to the Levitical priests, servants who minister by night. And those Levitical priests would be there in the temple. They, their responsibility was to keep the temple going, the oil light burning, take care of it. You know, slept there. They were on duty. So whether morning, evening, afternoon, wherever it is. And here are these pilgrims likely leaving at the end of whichever, probably one of the three big um, feasts that they would gather for. They're leaving after the feast. They're going out and just passing comment to the Levitical priests um, to, to bless the Lord and what they're doing, this, this evening psalm, which reminds us that the Lord God is not just a God of Sunday mornings. He's a God of Sunday evenings and Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings and Thursday afternoons at 425 um, in the afternoon. And so we have here this unique in Scripture, this evening, evening psalm. And you know, en- encourage your worship band, develop some songs that talk about worshiping God in night. Um, sometimes the night is some of the most discouraging times for God's people. A lot of times Satan will bring depression and things like that upon God's people in the evening. And having some psalms tucked away, some songs and hymns tucked away, hey, this one's appropriate for the night. You know, in my tradition, PCA, there's an old one that I just love. Um, it's called Abide With Me. You know, Abide With Me, fast falls the eventide. It's a song that you could have and you could sing in the evening saying, God, the night's coming on, the darkness is coming abide with me. And so we even see thematically in this psalm, this is an evening psalm which reminds us that God is with us and that worship is appropriate wherever, whenever. Whether it's the hospital room or at the birthday party, whether it's in the bright morning sunshine or whether it's in the evening. And so we have this evening psalm set at the end of the Psalms of Ascent, concluding these 15 psalms that follow on that great psalm about the word of our God proclaiming his greatness. And so with that introduction, um, I'll dive in, read it again, um, and then we'll take a look at the people who are in here, um, the place that it's in, and the praise of the people of God. And so this is um, the word of our God. A song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And so those are the, those are the, those are the people who are attending the pilgrims, who are telling the Levitical priests, bless the Lord. And then the Levitical priests respond, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of our God. I want to pray again before we dive into it. Father, thank you for your word. It is whole and complete and good, never failing, speaking of Christ at every point. Father, thank you for it. Give us your Holy Spirit as we consider it this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we jump in, again, the the three Ps, um, alliteration, if that helps you. Um, the, the people involved in this particular psalm are pilgrims. Um, they've come, they've spent the week there during the feast, they're leaving. Um, we don't know quite what it looked like. They probably weren't leaving in the evening. C.H. Spurgeon um, considers maybe that they're leaving, and of course you don't travel that far on foot, and maybe they're 
you know, towards the end of the day of leaving, they're looking back to the temple. The temple would have a parapet, kind of a wall up top, and maybe they can still see the Levitical priests, nights falling, and they're just crying out to those Levitical priests, and they're encouraging the Levitical priest to bless the Lord. Now, I'll just stop here since Justin's not here and he didn't jump in. You have an excellent pastor, um, but he is not utterly and absolutely competent in and of himself. He needs the Lord God, and he needs the grace of Jesus, and he needs a congregation that's going to encourage him in Christ. And I think that you probably do that, but you have scriptural admonition here where you see the, the, the pilgrims encouraging the Levitical priests to bless the Lord. I want to see the Levitical priest say, dude, that's my job. Like, you don't need me to tell me that. Like, I have one job. That is my job. I bless the Lord. That is what I do. But still we see in Scripture the need for the people of God to encourage those who lead them in worship and say, bless the Lord. So it, it would be awesome. It could be even our little secret now this morning. I'm sure, I think, I don't even think Amy's in here. But um, it could be our little secret. Like this week, if you could shoot Justin just some encouraging emails Maybe even, like old school, write him a note. I'm sure he probably has an address somewhere. And just say like, how, grateful he is, how grateful you are for him and encourage him that you know his identity is not in his pastoring. You're so grateful that the Lord bought him and brought him here um, to be a frail, weak servant alongside of you. And you have scriptural admonition to do that as the people of God call out to the Levitical priests, bless the Lord, you who worship the Lord by night, you servants there in the temple of the Lord. Now, you have in response the third verse of this three-verse psalm. You have the Levitical priests responding back. And again, they have one job, and they're doing it in response to the servants of God. One of the things that God commanded, not just encouraged, but commanded Aaron to do, and his sons from him, the Levitical priests that came from Aaron, was to bless the people of God. Um, I think I saw you're going to do a a benediction at the end, and that's a part of the blessing that God has given to his ministers to bestow on his people. And so maybe you don't, you're not familiar where even the word minister comes from. The word minister is short for administer. You wonder, well, what do ministers administer? Ministers administer the grace of the gospel. It is their job to pronounce over the people of God the blessing of God. They stand as servants of the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and pronounce over the people of God, because of God's great sacrifice for you, he loves you and is for you. Your sins are forgiven. You are his dearly blood-bought children. And so the Levitical priests respond doing their job there in verse 3, blessing the people of God, and blessing the people of God, calling on God as as the creator of the universe, he who made heaven and earth. You see that at the end. Now, one of the reasons he's saying that is because the implicit message that's not in this psalm would have been explicit to anybody who is there. What do Levitical priests do? Sacrifice. They get very, very bloody. Very bloody. Like, it, it, it points, the sacrifices were so great, there was blood flowing out of the temple. Like imagine like you walk up to Frost Middle School this morning and you see blood flowing out of the front door. Like it was an incredibly bloody service because the people of God knew it was only by blood sacrifice that they could come and be with their God and they were thankful that it was not their blood. And so you see here in this psalm 
God being proclaimed implicitly, because we're talking about Levitical priesthood sacrifices, as being the one who redeems through blood, and also being the God who is the creator of the universe. And so we see these common themes throughout Scripture that God is both creator and redeemer. He both made us and he provided for the forgiveness of our sins when we fell into sins through the sacrificial system that led to the great sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, which we'll get to in a few minutes. And so the people here, you have this blood-bought people proclaiming the Levitical priests, bless the Lord, Levitical priests responding back to them on behalf of God, creator and redeemer, God blesses you, God blesses you out of Zion, the creator of heaven and of earth. So, those are the people. Now, what about the place that this is happening in? You probably saw, you heard me say in the beginning, this is Jerusalem. Um, what we see when Abraham was a, a sojourner, um, good name for a sojourner. Abraham was a sojourner, didn't have a place, but God made a promise that I will give you a place to call your own. And if you read through the first few books of the Old Testament, you'll find the story of God providing for the people a place for their own. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay off your mortgage. It's going to be a cool place for you to stay. But the place, the land in which the people were going was going to be a geographic location in which the Lord God would dwell with his people. And within the land, it got even more intense as you got towards Jerusalem. You can think of it kind of like a bullseye. And so if all of geographic Israel, you get to the more holy place when you get to Jerusalem. When you go into Jerusalem, you go up the Temple Mount, and things are getting a little bit more holy. You get to the Temple Mount, and you have the tabernacle of God, the temple of God. And at the temple of God, you get even more holy. You go through the gates of the Gentiles, and then you go into the further. And the very center of the temple is the Holy of Holies, the place where the, priest, the, the chief priest could only go once a year to make atonement for um, the people of God. And so what you see in the land promise that God gave to his people is there's geographic Israel, and it gets more more and more holy as you get up to the Temple Mount, more and more holy as you get into the temple, more and more holy as you go into the inside of the temple. And what it told the people of God as they made this pilgrimage every year is that God is our God and that our God has been content to dwell with us. Despite the fact that we continue to sin, we can truly say God is with us. How can we say that? Well, we look up to the temple and we see there at the temple that God's spirit indwells that temple. And there are times in which even that that spirit of God would fall in such visible and tangible measure, it's called the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament, that even worship would stop. Like the priests just couldn't even do what they needed to do because God's spirit fell upon it. And the great tragedy of the Old Testament is we work our way through as the people of God fell into apostasy the land started being taken back by God's enemies. Even to the point we read in the latter part of Ezekiel where it says that God's spirit left the temple. But there was still this hope and promise that was symbolized in that word Zion, and you see it here mentioned in this psalm. Zion was a representation. Sometimes it stood for Jerusalem, sometimes the temple. It was also what stood for God's presence with his people even after the temple was destroyed. And so um, if you're familiar with the movie Matrix, um, Zion is called the place where you know, all the people who've been unplugged go, and at one point Neo's act asking Morpheus, like, what's Zion? And um, in a very theologically accurate answer, Morpheus says, well, when the victory finally happens, Zion is where the party starts. 
And that's, that, that's very biblical. Zion is where the party starts. And so after the land fell and was taken over, the prophets, you'll hear the prophets, when there is no land, they're in exile, still say, Zion. There is still Zion. There is still this promise that God will dwell with his people. And so all of those themes are coming into play. And wouldn't it be awesome if we could go and be in a place like that? Like, I mean, I, I, I love your pipe and drapes and your cool lights, and, and you've done your best in here, but this is not the temple. Even when they rebuilt the temple, it talks about it in Nehemiah, and uh, they come back from exile, and they start to rebuild it, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, and, it, and, and the young folks, when the temple's starting to be rebuilt, they're like rejoicing and crying out how great the temple is, and it says at the same time, the old folks were weeping because they had seen the glory of the first temple and, it, and, and the second temple didn't match the glory of it. So you had this, this weeping and also this rejoicing in the midst of it, this kind of like meh kind of response to even the second temple and all of its um, glory before it was destroyed in um, 70 AD. And so this is the place and the themes that are going on in this passage. These people of God are coming and they're reminded again, not just that God has bought them, creator and redeemer of the universe, but that he's been content to dwell with them. He is not a God who is afar off. He is a God who is near, who's in Israel, who calls them to feast to remind them again, I am with you and will dwell with you. So that's the place. Third, we see the praise um, that takes place in this passage. And and we've talked about it a little bit in the service so far. But we see this mutual blessing, which is kind of interesting. You, you have there in the beginning, um, in, in verse 1, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, people of God, calling out the Levitical priests. In verse 3, you have the Levitical priests calling back, saying, May the Lord bless you from Zion. Now, I, I think you probably know the word bless. You're probably familiar with it. Um, when, when we were down doing missionary work in, um, in Mississippi, because it's like a completely other nation being in the state of Mississippi, um, one of the things they would say um, would be, bless your heart. Um, and if you're not from Mississippi, it means the exact opposite. So it, it doesn't mean you're blessing somebody's heart. It's like a Bostonian using the word wicked. It doesn't mean wicked at all. It means something that's really, really good. And so bless your heart, and that word bless is not something that we're all that familiar with. And so much less, what is an action that you could do towards God and God could do towards you that would not be utterly blasphemous. I mean, does it, does it seem a little bit like weird that we could bless God, praise him, and that he would bless us back? Does that mean that he worships us? Well, no, of course not. He doesn't worship us. Well, what, how can this word be used within the space of two verses in the same context? And use, what does it mean to bless? How do we bless God? How does God bless us back? Blessing, biblically, is when we behave benevolently in our actions and our words towards someone else in conjunction with our roles and responsibilities. A strange definition, but let me, let me give you an illustration. So let's say your, um, your child, maybe three years old, um, draws you a picture. Um, and it's not some like prodigy, not doing like Picasso, comes with crayons and it's kind of a mess and uh, in, in comparison to any other art, you might judge that artwork to be, eh, I mean, you know, good luck, kid, maybe a career, go to art school one day, and you can clean up, stay within the lines. No, that, that isn't how we respond. It, it is, your child has made something for you, has taken her capacities, 
where she is because she loves you, has given her all, and then gifted you with this beautiful picture because she loves you. Now in response, what do you do? Do you, do you grab like a green and pink crayon and say, oh, well, I can do that. And No, you, you love her and you pick her up in your arms and you protect her all of her days. You put a roof over her head and food on her table and you teach her the word of God and you live with her and love her as her parent. Both of you are blessing one another. She is blessing you and you are blessing her. You're both acting benevolently in love, with action, with word, in conjunction with your roles and your relationships and your capacities. And so we see, even though the word father is not mentioned here in this particular passage, we know through um, Jesus when his disciples asked him to pray, just don't ever, don't ever lose this in, uh, in thinking through the Lord's Prayer, how seemingly blasphemous the Lord's Prayer would have been for Jews, for Jesus to say, okay, you want to know how to pray? This is how you start. Um, our Father. Second word in. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, not our Father. Almighty, exalted God, creator and redeemer of the universe, great. Father, not so sure about. But do you see in this psalm, you see the filial, loving, blessing of God on his people, of God for his people. They come with their sin. They come with their tears. They come with their brokenness. They come with their weakness. They come with their frail good works. They come and lay themselves before God, blessing him the best they can, and he just pulls up the dump truck of grace and just unleashes just the torrent of love and blessing and benevolence from God, and all of it under that word bless, so that we can bless God and be blessed by God in this relationship that we have with him, which is utterly unique in all the world from any other relationship that has ever happened and even would have sounded crazy to the Jews here singing this psalm, leaving worship to be able to, wow, is God really that great? He really is that great and all of his benevolent blessing. And so what you have here is you have your people, the Servants of God, talking Levitical priests, in this place where God dwells, and you have this mutual praise of blessing. We've done it already, and in Christian worship, remember, Christian worship is a dialogue. Um, what we do this morning, it's, it's not a monologue. I know I've got the microphone I'm behind the, the cool podium and stuff like that. This is, this is not at all a, a monologue. This is us blessing God and God blessing back. Us saying, I am sinful and needy, Lord God, and I lay myself before you as your servant. God responding back and saying, if you confess your sins, they are forgiven because I am just and righteous and holy through Jesus Christ. I love you. And us responding back, what an amazing God you are. We want to sing your praise. And God responding back, let's look at one, Psalm 134. I want you to know more about me. And so there's this dialogue back and forth in Christian worship. Now, the tension again, and I've alluded to it, wouldn't it be awesome? I would say, wouldn't it be awesome if we could all just get plane tickets and go over to Israel right now and, and go see the temple and like experience this? That would, that would, be, that would be really cool. Well, um, there are a few things that are problems to that. Um, one is the temple was destroyed in 7 AD, never rebuilt. 70 AD, never rebuilt. Um, during the Islamic conquest of Israel in the seventh century, um, there was actually a mosque built on the Temple Mount. So the Al-Aqsa Mosque is now on the Temple Mount where this usually did. And so the number of, not just the cost of flying to Israel, um, but even if we were there and we went up the Temple Mount, we would find a mosque and not a, a Jewish temple for 
for where that is. Now, the beauty of it, though, is that through Jesus Christ, we have something better. And this, this is the real challenge I've found. Like it's the past, oh goodness, about 16 years of ministry, the past 10 years of church planning before I um, t- went full-time with Ligonier have been some of the most difficult of my life. Um, and, and the Lord has just thrown me on the Psalms. Like I, it, it isn't like, oh, this would be a cool thing to read. I just, I, don't, I, I haven't felt like I'd have any other refuge. It's like I was forced there by the Lord to be in the Psalms. And there are certain parts we can breeze through Psalms and we can lose the emphasis of what it is and say, as I've said to you in that tension, like, wouldn't it be cool if we could have done that? That would have been great. I would love to be with a group of 10 to 15 people traveling, you know, pilgrim up to a feast, being this ornate temple, you know, blood would be a little weird, but blood and, you know, all this other. That would be a really cool thing. We see this song. No, too bad. Um, that that doesn't happen um, anymore. Well, it's even better. And let, let, let's, let's, let's briefly go back through and let me show you how. So you, you, you have, as I've alluded, something in common with those pilgrims who cried out to the Levitical priest, maybe on the wall, bless the Lord. Because you're a blood-bought people in pilgrimage. We are weary, but we are not fainting yet. And God has promised support us God has promised to make the Valley of Baca a place of rains. And Psalm 84 says Baca was a really dry spot. And God's like, I'm going to provide for you during your pilgrimage. And, and a part of doing that is doing what we're doing right now in Sunday worship. But one of the things I always think about, it's uh, actually, I'm, I think about it a lot because one of our, our window clickers in our car is broken. Um, and one of the things my mom would say, we had a Ford Taurus and I'm um, growing up and I would always click the window clicker because I was just that kid that always needed to like touch or like move things. And she would say, it only has a certain number of clicks. And if you use them all, it's going to break. And right now we have a, a broken clicker in our car too. So it, it reaches into its clicks. Well, the, there are only a certain number of Sundays before Jesus returns. There are only a certain number of clicks before he gets back. And we're, we're one click closer there's, there's going to be one last sermon, and then it's going to be done. And what God has promised for us as a people on pilgrimage is we are keeping time by the, every seventh day. It's the beauty of the Sabbath day. We are charting that back, and every seventh day, I always tell people, we are, we are way better than like even U.S. banks. Like they have a holiday, it feels like every month. Like Christians have a holiday every stinking week. Like our God has said, you are going to take a break and you are going to party once a week by my express decree and command. You're going to get together with your, pe- with, with your people. You're going to send her my word and you are going to be refreshed because you need that. And so we now, through Jesus Christ, three times a year, much less, it wasn't even like the ladies and little kids, like only the dads and the older boys would go to the three feasts three times a year. Every Sunday, we meet as a gathered body of believers, men and women, children, old and young, on pilgrimage home. And you think, well, wouldn't it be cool to have a priest? I mean, he had this cool, like, robe that he'd wear and all that kind of stuff. Well, there is now only one priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in a very real way, we we bless the Lord and blessing his priest and blessing the Lord because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Levitical priests. He is both the priest and the one who offered the sacrifice. 
He is the one who was spotless and perfect enough. Read the book of Hebrews, talks about it all the time. Hebrew, the, the author of Hebrews is always comparing like Levitical priests. He's like, ah, who's better, Jesus or Levitical priests? It's like, well, ask this question. Well, did Jesus ever have to af- offer a sacrifice for himself? It's like, no, Levitical priests did. They were sinners. Jesus didn't. He even says, hey, listen, there was this cool time where Abraham, like the great, great, granddad of Levitical priests, he offered a tithe to this super priest, Melchizedek, who just shows up in the Old Testament. This, this Melchizedek priest just shows up. His, his name in Hebrew is translated king of righteousness. He just shows up on the scene. Abraham allows this just random priest that shows up, this priest of the one true God, and Abraham gives him tithes. And the author of Hebrews reasons back and says, well, Levi was within, he says, within the loins of Abraham. Like, his genes, the genes of Le- Levi were inside Abraham, and Abraham tied to Melchizedek, so Melchizedek was better. You know what? Jesus is better than Melchizedek. And so Jesus is the great priest who has come, who now rules and reigns. And so we have a mediator. We have someone, and not just someone in heaven, our great God, but the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and now blesses over us God's blessing as a man, our great mediator for us. We have a much greater priest than Levi or any of the servants who stood by night. And by the way, you get in one of those dark times in night where there's depression, where the nights fall in and you wonder, you, you start to feel regret and guilt and all those things, We have a priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus does not stop interceding or praying for us. So in that night hour, you wake up at 2 a.m. and you can't sleep and you're worrying about something, Jesus is still praying. Never stops to make intercession for you. What a great high priest we have in him. Remember my second P in alliteration? The, The place. Well, the place is also fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we talked about it being like a bullseye. So geographic Israel, we get to Jerusalem. Inside Jerusalem, we go up to the mountain, Temple Mount. We're up. The temple is the very center of all that it is. Well, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he made these illusions that he was going to be the fulfillment of the temple. So he's standing at the temple, and they get really upset for him uh, saying this. And he says, hey, listen, see this, see this temple here? Well, if, if you destroy it, um, I'll build it again in three days. They're like, so, I mean, you, you're like Falconer construction here. Like, you're gonna, like, like what are you gonna, like, you, you can't rebuild the temple. And, like, it took us years to rebuild this thing. And it isn't even as good as the first one was. What do you mean? And John says there in John, he says, listen, we, we didn't know, but what he was talking about is he was talking about his body. That when they destroyed his body and death, God rose it again from the grave. And so Jesus' body there, he himself alluding to it being the temple. So much so, John picks up on it. And John 1, remember John, good buddy of Jesus, hung out with him for three years. And John says, Jesus came, and when he was amongst them, he says, dwelt with them. But the word used for dwell, it uses he tabernacled amongst them. John uses temple tabernacle language to describe Jesus and who he is. And so the question is, has God fulfilled his promise to live with and be with his people? Absolutely. God has fulfilled that promise in a better way than those sands over in Israel. You know, to a very real degree, very real degree, there is no longer any holy land. Like the sand in Israel is no more holy than any other place. And if people go to like the River Jordan and get like water from the River Jordan and want to come back and use it for, if, they, if you did that, that's totally cool and really <laughs> awesome. 
Um, there is nothing more holy about Jordan than your tap water. I just, there, there, there isn't. Because Jesus has filled the promised land. He has. Everything that was promised within geographic Israel, everything that was promised within the Temple Mount has been filled in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is here right now amongst you. Jesus is more powerfully present amongst his people at Sojourn Church on August 25th, 2019, than he ever was in the Temple Mount in Israel. Do you believe that? And even more so, as you go on mission, if somebody says, hey, I, I want to go somewhere where I can see God. I mean, Old Testament, like, okay, get your plane tickets. We got to organize one of three feasts, and then we'll kind of, you know, pack our Coleman's, and we'll take a week and get up and get to the tabernacle. Now it's, no, come to church. You know, come, come to my community group. Come be around Christians. The, the temple is mobile now. I mean, that's awesome. With, with, with the outwork of grace, it's like the temple became this like RV that now like goes out from Israel, like takes the glory and goodness of God into every crevice of creation. That is you. You are now the place where God dwells. Christ Jesus is united to you, fills you, yes, with your spirit and also with your physical body. God will raise your body to be with him one day. Jesus is with you. We're the place where he dwells. Thirdly, we talked about the praise. We have the mutual blessing of God within Christian worship, which we've already talked about a little bit, that within worship, we have the Lord Jesus Christ present in his word, blessing his people, the people of God present, blessing God back, and not only now, but as this psalm says, all throughout the week. I mean, you have, you have unlimited access. I mean that, like unlimited access. Like, you don't have to check your data plan. Like, you have unlimited access to the Lord God. You can always talk to him, whether in the evening or in the morning. It's like having an always-on FaceTime. Like, just imagine you're just leaving FaceTime on in your pocket, which would just, like, unnerve a lot of you. Like, I just, and you cover your little, little video on your computer because you're scared somebody's, like, coming through. Like, the, the, the presence of God and his access and this mutual blessing is like having an always-on FaceTime call with him always, not only you being able to say, Lord, I love you, and Lord, I need you, and Lord, I've sinned, I need your grace, and I want to repent, but hearing him say back through his word, I love you too, I'm with you, I've atoned for your sin, you are mine, I'm protecting you, no one can snatch you out of my hand, I'm preparing a place for you, stick with it. So we have, even within Christian worship, this mutual blessing. So the challenge for us on all the Psalms, but especially Psalm 134, you read that and like, wouldn't that be great? It's better. It's better through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that's, that's all of the Psalms. They are dimly what we see in the New Testament. So you have the New Testament, wow, like they had no idea. I mean, you, you know more about the Lord God than David and Moses and Abraham together. And you might say, no, 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 you don't understand. I've not been to seminary. No, no, really. Like in this book that you have, you know more than all of the saints in the Old Testament combined. What a time to live and be with them. So my encouragement to you in, in leaving, and I, I, I will do the close that's a close, so I will do the close that's a close. Um, what we do is, 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 if you're a Christian, be encouraged. The Lord God is with you all the time, morning, evening, here, through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and when you're tempted to read the Old Testament and say it would be great and the temple's cooler, this is even more cool than what he does. Secondly, you're a people on mission. You, you take the temple to people. You take God's presence to people. Do you see yourself in your church that way? Do you see yourselves as the mobile temple of God? You think, oh, it'd be great if I could be here. I just, oh, I'd love to get my friend within the temple. What it means is get him with you over coffee and share the gospel with him. Even just invite someone to church. That's what I always tell people. Like, just, I, I can, your, your preacher, Justin, I, we can take care of giving the gospel. Like, just get your friends in this room. Like, just say, hey, come to this place. Like, come be um, with this church. Lastly, it's, it, there are amazing promises that I've alluded to. If, if you're not a Christian, like, why? I would like to get in on a God who forgives all of my sins, who's promised to dwell with me, who has set me up through the new birth that's through Jesus Christ to be in a constant, unceasing relationship of mutual blessing with the God of the universe, where I can bring all that I am and praise him, and he in response blesses me with his grace. This is a great morning to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins and to place your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Again, I'm, I'm not handing out airplane tickets to Israel. I am handing out tickets to God's temple this morning. You can know the blessing of what it is to be with God in right relationship, worshiping and praising him forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for the encouragement. And thank you for bringing us into the temple, giving us psalms to remind us that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. Lord, bless Sojourn Church. We pray that these people and their children would grow up to know you all their days and that through them, Lord, revival would break out over across the whole world. Let it start, Lord, in Fairfax, Virginia. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Go in peace.